So life is simpler alone. I don't know if you agree with that statement, but uh, I sure do. I know this because uh, when I was single before I met my wife, when it was mealtime, it was an easy decision. Whatever I was craving, I can go out and, and get that food. If not, you know, I didn't care much about what I ate, so I just ate what was in the fridge or, or left over or what I had available. But then when I married my wife, no, there, there are now conversations that are involved, decisions that have to be made. It kind of goes like this. I asked my wife, well, what do you want to eat for dinner? And then my wife would say, well, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. And then I would say, well, what about maybe uh, Chinese food? And she would say, well, we had that the other day. And then what about Korean food? Well, we have Korean food all the time. And then you're, you're having this conversation on and on again, and it, it takes minutes, if not hours, to decide on what to eat. Literally, especially when we're going out, dining out somewhere, it, this is a conversation that we always have. It's always a struggle to find a place. Not recently, though, because, you know, this time, now we know exactly where we want to go. We have Menya Hosaki, who's right available, best ja Japanese uh, ramen in town. So, you know, our decision-making has, has been very simple these days. But then you throw children into the mix. And these kids, sometimes they don't want to eat meat. They don't want to eat vegetables. They, they, they change every day. And so it's almost impossible to make a decision that pleases everyone. Life is simpler alone. There's less decisions that have to be made, less things to worry about, less drama, because less people, less drama, right? Can I get an amen to that? Um, less pain, less suffering. It's, it just seems like there are times when it, it, it's easier to live alone. So to some degree, a lot of us, we have this craving inside of us where we desire isolation. We desire some personal space. We like to protect our freedom. No, we, you don't, we don't want to be disturbed by other people. And there's literally a button that you can press on your, on your phone that says, do not disturb because I'm in this, my own space right now. And with the technology that we have, it's actually possible to live in total isolation, right? You can do school online. You can work online. You can order food online. You can actually, actually shop online. Everything is possible online. So it is actually possible for you to be in a place, not talk to anyone for a full day or for days and continue your life. Life is simpler alone. But we also know that life is not better alone. That it might be good for a couple days, but at the end of the day, we all recognize that we need relationships, meaningful relationships. There's a statistic that says about two-thirds of Americans feel lonely despite being so connected to the world. Besides having access to other people 24-7, two-thirds of Americans feel so lonely. Why? It's not because they don't have enough relationships. It's because they don't have enough meaningful relationships. And the Bible tells us that the reason why we crave for meaningful relationships is because we were created in that way. It's because we worship a God who's all about community and relationships. Just think about who God is. In his very existence, he exists in community. There's never a moment where God is alone, by the way. Did you know that? That God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, from eternity past to, to eternity future, at all times, they are together in community. This perfect love, perfect harmony, they are working together in unity. And that's the idea of the Trinity. God in his very existence, 
he exists in community, and he created us in his image, in his likeness. And so when God created man, Adam, the very first thing that he said, oh, man, it is not good for a man to be alone. And the same way, when he sees us in isolation, the thing that he says to us is, it is not good for a man or a woman to be alone. God, his very existence, it points out that we need community. And we also see that God works through community. His plan, it always revolves around people. You see this all throughout the Bible. And when God created man and woman, the command that he gave was to be fruitful and multiply. In other words, go out and make community. After the flood, God reminds Noah one more time, be fruitful and multiply. You go to Genesis chapter 12, and God calls Abraham. He says, I want to bless you, Abraham. But the way that I'm going to bless you is you're going to be, you're going to have a lot of descendants. Through you, I'm going to make a great nation. And through that nation, I'm going to bless the people of the world. And so God's plan involves an individual, but his ultimate plan is to bless people. Moses is chosen by God. Why? To lead God's people out of Egypt. And we see in the book of Joshua, Joshua is fighting. Why? For the promises of God that lies on, on the people of God. He's fighting on behalf of the people of God. And this story continues in the New Testament. You see, Jesus, when he starts his public ministry, one of the first things that he does is he gathers a people. He says, you're going to be my disciples. And for three and a half years, he invests in people, that he lives in community, that he, he shares life with other people. And he goes to the cross, he dies, you know, he defeats death, he rises again. And the last thing that he says to, to his disciples is, now you go out and invest in people and build community. Make disciples of all nations. And the book of Acts is all about the people of God going out. And as the gospel is spreading all throughout the world, you see people gathering in the name of God. There are churches that are being formed, communities that are formed. And you go to the last book, the book of Revelation in chapter 7. You have, have this incredible picture of people from every nation, tribe, tongue. People who are so different, all together, in unity, singing one song to one king, one Lord, worshiping all together. The idea of community and unity exists all throughout scripture. And that shows us that God, although he is a personal God, he connects with us on a personal level. He works in individual lives so that he can minister to people, so that he can gather a people for himself, for his glory. So many religions would say your religion is private, well, not Christianity. Although your religion, your faith is personal, it is never private. When you believe in Jesus, when you decide to follow Christ, then you are part, immediately part of the body of Christ, Ephesians 3 says. And so you can't have Christ and not have people. So that's what the Christian life is all about. The Christian life is a journey of faith, but it's also a journey that we walk together with others. It's a journey of faith, but it's a journey that we walk together. And so we're all in this together, really. Our relationship with one another matters. The health of our relationships, it matters. You will never see the fullness of God's blessings, his purposes becoming fulfilled if you live in isolation. And that's the point of chapter 22. It's all about community. It's all about unity. And let me give you a little background about this passage. You go to Numbers 32, and there's a story where people of God, there are, they're on the east side of the Jordan River, where there's this massive river. 
splitting the, the east and the west. And on the west side, it's called the promised land. And God, for many years, said, I'm going to lead you into the promised land. All 12 tribes, you're going to have this land right here. And so Moses has led the people up to this point. Uh, they're on the eastern side. And there are two and a half tribes that come to Moses and say, well, you know, looking at this land on the east, it, it's spacious. There's a lot to do. We actually have a lot of livestock, a lot of animals that we need to feed, and this is the perfect space for us. So instead of us going into the promised land with the rest of God's people, can we stay here? That's the, that's the suggestion that they make. And Moses says, well, no, no, you, you can't do that because God told us that we have to go into the promised land and, and seize it. And so Moses suggests, oh, instead of you guys settling here, I mean, you can have the land, but not until you come and fight for us. And until the land is, is seized, you can't go back. That you have to fight with us. And after the promised land is conquered, that's when you can actually go back. So two and a half tribes, they send their men to war. And for seven years, we see that they fight alongside of the rest of Israel. You see in Joshua 1, God calls Joshua and says, Be strong and courageous. Seize the land. And the very next thing that Joshua does, he goes to the leaders of the two and a half tribes and he says, okay, you guys are going to have to come with us. We're going to go to battle. Remember what you promised to, to Moses? Now come with us. And in Joshua 22, that's where we pick up because we are told now the war is at an end, that the land is, is at rest. Battle is finally over. And we read in verse 1, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh. These are the two and a half tribes that came from the eastern side of the Jordan Jordan River, it says that, that Joshua told them, hey, you kept your promise, you were faithful, you fought with us, you, you did everything that we asked you to do, and now you can go back. Now you can actually go home. And in, in verse 5, he exhorts the, the people there, he says, remain faithful to the Lord, keep all of his commandments, love the Lord your God with all your strength, your might, your soul. And so Joshua, it says in verse 6, bless them so that they can return to their own land. But not only bless them uh, in, in words, but we see in verse 8 that Joshua gave them a good portion of the spoil that they collected from the promised land. As they are conquering all these kings, the people of Israel, they receive all this spoil. And we see much wealth with much livestock, silver, gold, bronze, iron, and much clothing were given to these two and a half tribes as they were going back. So it's, it's a great situation, right? Mission accomplished. And now they can go back peacefully and live life as it was meant to be. But then something happens in verse 10. When everything is going well, you read that the two and a half tribes, as they are going back to the eastern side, right before they are about to cross the Jordan River, they build something. Bible says an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size, a massive altar, an altar that would be used to give sacrifices to, to, to gods. They build it. And so seeing this, no, the nine and a half tribes, they're on the, the, the west side, and they see this. And they're like, what is going on? What is that? I thought they're going to remain faithful to God. We know that the altar is supposed to be in, in Shiloh, in, where the tabernacle is. And so they say, let's go to war. Okay, our brothers have turned against us. They have turned against the Lord, so we need to go against them. We need to go to war. That's what it says in verse 12. And, and this is kind of ironic. For, for seven years, they fought together. They did life together. They went to battle together. And they had this lovey-dovey moment where they were blessing each other. They were sharing their victory, all the spoil that they collected. And everything seems great. And now they're like, oh, we're going to kill you. 
We're going to go after you. That's, that's the idea. But before they go to war, the nine and a half tribes, they sent people, representatives, 10 people, along with a leader named Phineas. And, and Phineas and these 10 people, they go to the two and a half tribes, and they confront them, and they say, well, I thought you were going to be faithful to the Lord, but you have abandoned your faith. You have betrayed the Lord. You are rebelling against God. You need to repent. You need to turn away. If you don't deal with your sin right now, like, there's going to be judgment not only upon you, but upon us. We learned this in the past. We know how one personal sin can, can spread through a, a community. And so they're, they're warning the, the, these people on, on the east side. And as they're having that conversation, the people on the east, they realize, okay, they're misunderstanding something. And so they say, oh, well, that wasn't our intention. Uh, it says in verse 21, no, 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 no. It wasn't that we were abandoning our faith and worshiping false gods and like other nations. We wanted to remember that we're one people. We want to create something because we were going to the other side of the Jordan River, and we know that this river can divide us. This river inevitably are going to create some cultural differences between our descendants and your descendants. So we want to create something to remind us and our future generations that, that we have fought together, that we are one people in God, although we live in different locations, that we are one together. And as the nine and a half tribes on the, on the um, west, they're hearing this, they're like, oh, now we get it, we understand our bad. Like, we'll go back. No, what you did was, was good. And so that how, that's how the story ends. Like, you have this, this incredible moment where victory is declared, and they're sharing in that victory. They're, they're, they're blessing each other, loving each other. And then that you have this moment where, where they say, immediately, I'm going to go kill you. I'm going to destroy you. We're going to go to war. And then, you know, there, you have this moment of confrontation. Why did you do this? How could you do this? You know, what were you thinking? And then you have this moment where, well, uh, well, that wasn't the case. This is my intentions. And then they say, well, my bad. Like, we'll go back, right? Uh, such a strange story at the end of the book of Joshua, which was so dramatic and dynamic. Why do we have this story? Well, it's for us to see that in God's plan, Unity matters. Unity matters. Community matters. This entire story exists to remind us that unity among God's people is so important. Everything that happens in this chapter happens because people care about the community and the unity that exists among God's people. And so how can we live in unity and in community? How can we live in a Joshua 22 type of way? That's the question that we want to answer today, and I just want to highlight three things from today's text. How can we live in community, embrace the unity that God gives us as the people of God? Number one, sacrificial commitment. Sacrificial commitment. I encourage you to write that down. It says in verse two, when Joshua is sending off the two and a half tribes of the the east, it says, you have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. Just think about this. The two and a half tribes on the, on the, on the, on the east side, they had everything set. The land was already theirs. Um, they, they, they could live a comfortable life on the, the, the east side of the Jordan River. And yet, for seven years, these men left their families, 
these men left their, their, their wives, their children, everything that was at home, and they went to war. Like, you hear news about the Ukrainian war, and, and you hear about the Ukrainian men going, and, and women going into battle to, to protect the country and leaving their families behind. And, and it's kind of that idea for, not for a month, not for a year, for seven years, these people were committed. They stayed in battle. They left all that they had on the east side. Why? Because they wanted to remain faithful to the Lord and keep their promise. That's the type of commitment that we need to maintain unity within the body of Christ, leaving what's safe for us, comfortable for us, even peace at times. This also means that we need to sacrifice our time and our money for the sake of others. This means that sometimes you need to adjust your schedule. Maybe you need to lessen your load a little bit so that you can invest in, in, in the community that you belong to. This also means that sometimes your family is not your top priority. It's important. And I know in the Western culture, like after our personal well-being, our family is, is the next important thing. But the Bible tells us, I'm not saying that family is not important, that you should just abandon your family. I think your responsibility within the family is a God-given responsibility. Husbands have a responsibility to lead the family faithfully. Uh, wives have the responsibility to be the suitable helper, to help and to support the, 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 the husband. Children have a responsibility to honor their parents, to, to, to follow the, the lead of the parents. And parents have the responsibility to, to raise children in the word of the Lord. So you have these God-given responsibilities within the family, but there are times when even within our personal life and our personal families, we need to make sacrifices for the greater family, the family of God. Because at the end of the day, we're not just serving our families, we're serving the Lord. And if the Lord wants us for a season to invest in people, then we go do that, trusting in the Lord. God matters. And what he says matters. And this means that church cannot be an afterthought. This means life group is not something that you just go to when your schedule is open. It means that you schedule things. You intentionally gather together. You make time for one another. Why? Because you believe that family, the God family matters um, within, within the Christian life. You believe that unity matters um, within the body of Christ. And this also means at times when someone shares their burden, instead of just simply, I'll pray for you, you, you go and do something. If someone is struggling with loneliness, you, you go and make time. You, you, you take them out, maybe have a meal, have a, have a cup of coffee together. If someone is struggling financially, maybe you can provide a, a, a hot meal for them. If someone is struggling to really find a mate because they, wanna, they really want to pursue God's idea of marriage and they want to have a godly family and, and, but they're strong to find someone, that means you don't just say, I'll pray for you. You pick up your phone, you text some people, you call some people, and you find someone for them. Like you, 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 you lay down some bridges. You help a brother out. You help a sister. Now, for our youth, by the way, this is not the time for you guys to help a brother out, right? I just want to let you know, when you are ready to pursue a godly uh, 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 relationship. And I, I think some of you guys could be ready, but I'm just saying someone really is following the Lord, loving the Lord, and the only thing that they're missing is a godly partner. Then you call some people and, and, and you make, 
I mean, you, you put things in the hand of the Lord, but you, you, you do your job, right? This means that we do something more than just saying, I pray. I'm not saying that prayer is bad. I'm not saying that prayer doesn't work. I'm simply saying that as we pray, God might place something on our hearts that, that we need to take to action. The people on the east side did not simply say, well, we wish you luck. Go to war, hope that you survive. No, that's not what they did. They said, we're going to war with you. Your battle is our battle. And the same way, that's the mentality that we have to have in the body of Christ. It's not that my battle is my battle and your battle is your, your battle. Your battle is my battle if you are in Christ. Your problem is my problem. Like, that's, that's the mindset. And what's good about this is as you are fighting for your brother and sister in Christ, you get to share in the victory that they have. You know, sometimes people ask me, Pastor James, like, you know, I feel so bad asking for time, you know, for, for counseling, maybe asking this question, like, I don't know, like, uh, like you know, if, you, if you're available. And the biggest joy that I have being a pastor, one of the biggest joys that I have being a pastor is that I get to share in other people's victories. That I get to see people grow, I get to see people really overcomes their struggles, maybe their personal sin, maybe uh, their, their family issues or whatever it might be. I get to see that. And I share in that victory in a real way. Their joy is mine. What they experience is mine. And, and, and the blessings that they receive is, is mine as well. You see in today's passage, although the two and a half tribes, they made a sacrifice to go all the way to seize the promised land with the nine and a half tribes. You also see the nine and a half tribes knowing that Bless the two and a half tribes with sacrificially giving what belonged to them. Like they, they are sharing the spoil with them. And so the question that I want to ask to you is, what effort are you making to build the community of God? Is community an afterthought? Something that you do out of convenience? Or is it something that's so important to you that you would make a sacrificial commitment? This is why, by the way, in our church, we promote meaningful membership that we don't believe that it's just good enough for people to just come and attend on Sundays. I mean, there could be a season like that, but we say for your growth, for your spiritual well-being, if you really want to grow in Christ, then you have to get plugged in, that you have to make commitments, that you have to really go out of your way to be, invest in this community and have the community invest in you. You know, part of this, as people are making sacrificial commitments to you, that means you have to humbly sometimes accept their help. You have to say, I actually need some help. Like the nine half tribes, they didn't say, we don't need you guys. We can conquer this land together. No, they said, you need to come with us. That's how we're going to fulfill the purposes of God if we all go to battle together. And this is the mindset that, that we ought to have as well, that we need everyone in, 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 in this battle together as the body of Christ. So sacrificial commitment is the first thing that we need to do if we want to live in unity with God's people. Number two is this, godly accountability. Godly accountability. Now, some people might say the nine and a half, nine and a half tribes on the west, they, they were overreacting to a problem. That it was just an altar. It was just this monument. And they happened to overreact. Well, I don't think it was an overreaction. Because they learned their lesson. You know, we study in the book of Joshua that an, a sin of an individual can, can impact a whole community. We, we, we saw that a sin of one, a sin of some, is actually a sin that the whole com the community deals with. That, that you see that there, there, there is a rippling effect of when an individual sins, that there's a rippling effect within the community. And that's what the people know. And that's why they're like, okay, we need to deal with this sin. It's not that they're just walking in sin. They can bring wrath upon everyone. 
judgment upon everyone. So the nine and a half tribes, um, they sent people and they confront the two and a half tribes on the east. And this is what they say in verse 16. What is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourself an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord? So you have left your faith and you are belling against the Lord. Verse 17, have you not had enough of the sin of Peor? Now that's a strange place, right? Well, we know from Numbers 25, the place of Peor um, was a place where the people of God they were at that place. It, it was ruled by uh, the Moabites. And God specifically told the people, don't worship foreign gods and don't marry foreign women. Why? Because if you marry foreign women, you will end up worshiping foreign gods. And so that was the logic. And so it was very clear that they should marry within their own people. But at this place called Peor, and you know how men are, men of Israel looked at the Moabite women. And they were, they were pretty. And, and so the Bible tells us that, that they fell in love with the Moabite women. They slept with the Moabite women. Next thing that you know, they're, they're marrying the Moabite women and doing life together. And they're worshiping their gods. So exactly like that. Like God warned them. They fell for it anyways. And, and this kindled the anger of the Lord. And God says to Moses, you know, I'm, I'm going to unleash a plague upon the land of Israel until you deal with the people who are sinning before me until you deal with the people who are sleeping with these foreign women. And so the word goes out, but one person had their phone off. They didn't get the memo. This one guy, as everyone is gathered all together, they, they are mourning, they are praying, they are broken because of what is happening. People are literally dying, and they're all gathered at the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. And this one guy walks in with a, a foreign princess, right? It's like, hey, how's it going? Walks into his own tent and shuts the door. And you know what's going on in there. And so people are like shocked. What is going on? Like how can this happen? Like what do we do? And in the midst of the crowd, there's a guy who stands up, takes a spear, opens the tent, throws the spear. And in one spear, the man and the woman died on the spot. That man was Phineas, the guy who's leading the pack today. And so when Phineas showed up and said, how can you rebel against the Lord? You're going to bring judgment upon not just yourself, but on people. The two and a half tribes, they know that. They, they mean it. He means it. He literally killed people because he was so jealous for the Lord. The Bible tells us that he didn't do that out of frustration, out of anger, because he was upset or because he couldn't control his own emotions. The Bible tells us specifically in, 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 in Numbers 25 that Phineas did that because he loved the Lord so much. He cared about the name of the Lord so much that he was willing to go all the way to protect the reputation of the Lord, to protect the purity of God's people. If anything mattered, it was the worship uh, 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 that, that exists among God's people. And he said, I'm not going to compromise anything. I'm not going to let anything come and contaminate this. I'm going to deal with my problem. I'm going to do something about this. That was the heart that he had back in Numbers 25, and this is the heart that he's bringing in Joshua 22. The people on the west side, they're not coming after the people on the east side because they are belittling the people on the east side. It's not because they just think the people on the east side are, are, are unintelligent, that they are, are, are not walking faithfully. It's, it's mainly because they care about the Lord. They care about the reputation of the Lord. And they know that one person's sin is the problem of the entire community. 
And so with grace, with patience, they, they explain, hey, do you not remember the sin of Peor? Do you not remember the sin of Achan? Two primary, primary examples that shows that a hidden sin impacts the whole community. And as they're explaining this, we see that there is this godly accountability, godly confrontation that takes place. And this means at times you might have to have hard conversations with the people around you. In church, we don't just need superficial peace. It's not that we just need to like each other. It's not that we just need to be drama-free. The Bible tells us that we actually need to care for each other enough to speak truth to one another in love. And here's why this is important. It's because we're all in this together, and we're only going to go as far as the last person, the person who is the weakest. You know this from hiking. Uh, there are a couple times we took our youth group to hiking, and in every hiking trip, there are people who are sprinting. They can run like, like, you know, like a squirrel, and, and they're going up, right? And then there are people in the back. They're drinking water. They're like huffing and puffing. They're, they're struggling. And what's going to happen eventually? Well, the people in the front are going to slow down. They're going to wait. They're going to make sure the last person comes. And so the group can go only, go only as far as the person who is at the very end. And this is true for the people of God as well, for the church as well. Now, we understand for us to really succeed as a church, and when I say succeed, for us to live according to God's plan, fulfill his purposes, we need everyone. And this is why we have accountability within our church. This is why we have discipline within our church. This is why, by the way, your small group leaders or maybe your if you're in youth, your teachers will text you, will ask if you're doing okay, will confront you at times, will say harsh things to you in love. It's not because they want to make your day miserable. It's not because they want to ruin your emotions. It's because they care for you deeply enough that they're willing to have these hard conversations, look you into the eye and say, I don't think this is right. That's the heart behind it. And so we see that godly accountability is it's so important. And in order to have this godly accountability, we need to have passion for the name of the Lord. We need to love God enough and care about the community that he has given us enough that we would say we're going to do whatever it takes to protect the unity that he has given to us through Christ. So sacrificial commitment, godly accountability, and the third thing is this, patience and listening. For us to live in unity as God's community, we need to be patient and we need to listen. As much as the people on the on the West side had a good reason to come after the people on the east side. Notice that before they went to war, they actually listened. They sent a group of people so that they can have a civil conversation. It wasn't that they were just unleashing their anger, their frustration, saying all these mean things to them and saying, you need to repent, repent. They weren't just saying all these, these things in their face, but they were asking questions. Why do you do this? Why did you build that altar? They're having a civil conversation, and they're bringing good reasons why they're trying to bring up their sin. It's because your sin matters. It's because, you know, the sin of Peor, the sin of Achan, it points to the fact that we need to do something about this sin. And as they are waiting, as they are and, 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 and bringing up this issue, the people on the east, they explain their position. They say, you know, this wasn't because we were trying to be selfish or ignorant to God's calling. We simply wanted to create something, a monument, that will remind our future generations that we are one in God. That we are one people. Although this river stands between us, and because of that, there are going to be different cultures and different things that develop. We are one in God. That's that's the only reason why we made this. We're not going to make any separate 
sacrifices us through this. We're not going to do anything on this altar. It's simply there to remind us that we're all in this together. And when they hear this, the people on the west, they're like, okay, that's, that's exactly why we came to you guys, because we care about unity so much. We came to you guys because we know that we need you guys as God's people. And the people on the east said, we did this because we want to remind our future generations that we are one in God. And so you see the patience that, that the people on the west, they weren't just jumping to conclusions. It wasn't that they just had negative assumptions. They were willing to confront but also willing to listen. And I think continuing the theme from last week, we need to do the same. That we have a God who's so patient that he's willing to look at the intentions of the heart. And in the same way, we need to do the same. Although on the surface, you might be frustrated with things that are going on with the people around you. You might say, well, that person is probably doing this because of this. Don't assume that. Go to that person in a loving way. Have a civil conversation. Look at the intentions of the heart. And still, if they're walking in sin, that's when you really have to confront them for the good of of that person and for the good of people. But if that's not the case, then you simply accept that and you understand that person and you walk away. There are many times when I assumed something as a pastor and I brought something up to the surface and I had no idea what that person was dealing with. And I'm so glad that I took the time to sit down and actually have a conversation. That instead of saying, you are doing this, this, and this, and that is wrong, I would ask, hey, why, are, why, why is this happening right now? Are you okay? Right? It's the intention that really matters. And when the intention was okay, it says in verse 34, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad, they called this altar witness. For they said, it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. When the intention was understood, the people on the west said, okay, that's actually a good because it reminds us that we are one in God. So we have to be patient. We have to be willing to listen to other people instead of jumping to conclusions. Now, I think this, this, this passage is so meaningful to us because we don't necessarily have a physical altar in the middle of the Jordan, but we do have a lot of rivers in between ourselves. We have a generational river where we have young and old. We have a language barrier. Uh, where we have different languages. Literally, there's a worship service that's going on here. There's another congregation in the main sanctuary that's worshiping at the same time. So even within our church, we see these different rivers. But what brings us together? It's not a monument. It's the fact that we believe in God and we have the cross that we look at together. The cross is the symbol, the sign that brings us together, even for our future generations. It's the cross that matters. Jesus matters. The gospel is what brings us together. So although we have cultural differences, we can argue about what to eat, how to decorate this place, how to build a new building. We can argue about those things. But one thing that we can't argue about is the fact that Christ died for us and he brought us together. Not only are we one with God when we believe in Jesus, but we are one with one another. That not only do we have this relationship with Jesus as our head, but we have the relationship that we have with the rest of the body, with the church. We acknowledge that. And as long as the gospel is at the center of everything, as long as everyone is looking at the gospel and there's this mutual understanding that that is the most important thing, that is what brings together, as long as that is not compromised, we are willing to go and accept, you know, diversity within our group, then we're going to be okay. And that means we have to elevate the gospel above all Things. That's what brings us together. The moment that any group, any person strays away from that, 
that's going to bring disunity within our group. So today, as we are thinking about this message, remember that you are called not just to follow God, not just to follow Christ, but to follow a group of believers, to be with a group of believers together, to, to invest your life into others and to be invested uh, by others. You are called to live in this beautiful community called the local church. And the way that you do that is you make sacrificial commitments to one another, that you, you pay the price, you are willing to let go of some of the things that you cherish for the sake of others, and you celebrate in the victory of others, and you share in the struggle of others. You also take time to have hard conversations with other people, to confront the sin of others, not because you want to be you know, this big-headed person, but because you care about the purity and the sanctity and, and the holiness of the other person. You understand that you're going to go only as far as the other person. You understand that every person in this room matters. You understand if we want to function properly as the body of Christ, we need every member of the body present. And this also means that we need to listen and we need to not just jump to conclusions, but we need to be patient with one another. Also, you are reminded that your personal walk with the Lord is important, but it's not everything. You know, Paul, the imagery that he uses most often when it comes to the church is that the church is a body. And you can be a thumb, a very big thumb. But if you're cut off from the body, you're of no use. You have no value. In the same way, someone who says, I can be a good Christian and follow Jesus apart from the local church, you can be a very big thumb, but just be dead spiritually. Because God, the way that he designed everything is that although he's a personal God who works in personal ways in our personal lives, he is a God who works in personal ways to bring people together. And it's through that people that he accomplishes his great purposes. And the way that we do that is we elevate Jesus Christ above anything else. Amen? Let's pray.